In this episode, Paul Canton, a man without a country. Welcome to another Real American Heroes special edition. I'm Oliver North, and our broadcast today is about the surreal case of a man without a country, Paul Canton. He was born in New Zealand. In 1988, he came to the United States as an exchange student. In 1991, he enlisted in the U.S. Marine Corps after being told by a Marine recruiter he would become a U.S. citizen upon his honorable discharge. When he was discharged in 1995, Paul, believing he was doing the right thing, used his DD-214 discharge certificate to obtain a driver's license and registering to vote. But last year, he was told he needed actual proof of citizenship in order to renew his license. Concerned, Paul contacted the United States Citizenship and Immigration Service, the so-called USCIS, and was told to file an application for naturalization. His application was denied. Through his attorney, Elizabeth Rickey, Paul filed an appeal. The appeal was denied by the USCIS, citing several reasons, including having a conviction for voting in a U.S. election. Yes, this is surreal. Paul had voted, but he was never charged or convicted for having voted. Paul is still unable to obtain a green card through his U.S. citizen wife, and together they have two sons. He's now, as I said, a man without a country. His service in the U.S. Marine Corps caused his citizenship in New Zealand to be revoked. Paul is hopeful that he and other veterans like him will be able to become naturalized citizens of the United States because Marines never abandon one another. I asked Paul and his attorney, Elizabeth, to join us today. Paul, thank you for making time. Thank you very much for having us, son. Elizabeth, thank you for taking time to join us today. Thank you, Colonel. Paul, if you would, just tell us about your life prior to enlisting in the Marine Corps. I was born in New Zealand and raised in Australia. I grew up watching Walt Disney, Gentle Ben, My Friend Flipper. I graduated high school when I was 15 and went to trade school for blacksmithing and horse training. When I was 17, I got given the opportunity to come to America as an exchange student. And I went to Colorado where I rode the Rockies on horseback, punching cattle across the Great Divide. You sound like a good Marine. Why did you decide to enlist in the U.S. Marine Corps? It seemed like a natural fit. I mean, I'd fallen in love with this country and the Persian Gulf War had come up. And, I, you know, as with anything you love, you just want to defend it. And it was a beautiful experience. And I got to learn trades and crafts that have followed me throughout my life, one of which was spit shining shoes. Last year, my oldest boy, Alex, he went ahead and joined junior ROTC and I got to teach him how to spit shine his dress shoes. <laughs> I don't know whose grin was bigger when he could see his reflection in the shoes, his or mine. And the friendship when you're in the call. One of the friends I met was Shane and went out to see him last year. He was the commander of American Legion Post number 28 out of Green River, Wyoming. And that's when I joined the American Legion. It, you know, the Persian Gulf War had started and I love the country and I just wanted to serve and be a part of it. Unfortunately, because of the hardships of trying to get the paperwork from the other countries, I had to go to late entry. So walk us through the interview when your citizenship was denied initially. I'd had my family with me and we'd been going through the process and we came up for the first interview. 
and I got called to the back room. And as I walked towards the back room, I got called by an officer and he stepped behind me as I went to walk through the door. And later I found out that, you know, he threw his hands up and told my wife, no, you can't come back here and kind of scared the heck out of her and the kids. We went back into the interview room and he stepped up to one side, allowed me through the door first. And I stepped back when I was in the room and allowed him to walk behind the desk. And as he started to walk towards me, I reached out my hand to shake it and I introduced myself and he literally threw his hands up and recoiled in horror at the side of my outstretched hand. And this was 2019, well before COVID. And I just, I found that a little shocking and we sat down, we did view and the times he got up and room, it seemed like about every 10 minutes out for about six to 10 minutes, then come back in. And I let him know that a friend of mine had gotten security clearance and I'd been through several interviews with Homeland and nothing had ever come up and I'd never had any trouble. And I just, for all intents and purposes, was coming to my government to get proof of citizenship. My license was running out. I asked him, you know, am I, how long is this going to take? And he looked at me, he says, berated me and said, I don't know why you're in this country. I don't know how you got in this country. And I don't know how you got into the Marine Corps. Believing you were doing all the right things, you get the denial. When do you first meet and make contact with Elizabeth? Well, we did, uh, you know, we had a little family sit down and I talked to my wife and kids and, you know, I told them, you know, don't worry, it's going to be okay. But in truth, not having a country to go to and not knowing where I was going to be in a month, you know, so I started reaching out to attorneys and I had a friend who offered to help pay for them. And after a couple of different tries with attorneys that turned up no hope, I'd pretty much given up. So I went ahead and reached out to the American Legion magazine and wrote a short email to them wanting to put a message out to foreign-born vets. And I titled it Foreign-Born Vets and the Pitfalls of Immigration. And the next day, Omar Smith had reached out to me from the American Legion and said, we've got Miss Elizabeth Ritchie. She's an attorney and she's, you know, she can help you. And when I contacted her, she said, hey, I'm pro bono. I can help you. And you know, at that point in time, it was pretty dark. I, you know, with nowhere to go and no hope and everything, including the country I love, was about ready to strip, be stripped away from me. She stepped up and said the most meaningful words I think I've ever heard, that I'm here to help and I'm going to be with you till the end, no matter what happens. Elizabeth, thank you for making time to be with us today. Give, give me your sense as best you can. And I've I've got a lot of experience with lawyers. I have an attorney son and, uh, of course, spent a lot of time dealing with issues similar to this, but never quite the same. Give me your sense for what made you step up and say, I'll, I'll be with you to the end. Well, thank you for the opportunity to tell this story. Unfortunately, it's not that unusual. I've had several of these. And when I got my first one about 10 years ago, I knew that I had to help and help these vets at no charge. They had trusted recruiters, put their lives in the recruiters' hands. I knew how to solve the issue, and I felt it was my duty to give back by helping them at no charge. 
Well, God bless you for doing so. Can you give us a sense where this case stands now? Sure. So Paul had represented himself initially, and that was denied. I came in early this year and did an appeal, which was also denied. I attended the interview with him in July. It was about a two-hour, I'd say more of an interrogation than an interview, at which the two officers who were grilling him indicated that the reason that the case would be denied was because he had two strikes against him. One was that he had registered to vote and voted, which makes him a person of, quote, poor moral character. So he had poor moral character for having voted, which is um, a reason to not only deny naturalization, but could also result in deportation. But the second reason was that his active duty did not start until November of 91. The problem there is that Persian Gulf did ended by executive order on April 11th of 91, he had already enlisted and was ready reserve, but wasn't active until November. So I believe that the service misunderstood the law in their denial. So I have reapplied for him for a new application for naturalization. And I'm pointing out that on his enlistment documents, it says he's ready reserve upon enlistment. And I'm also pointing out that a veteran only need have a period of one year prior to application of good moral character. And Paul stopped voting once he realized he was no longer a citizen. So that year has passed. And we are now waiting on immigration to give us a new interview. I have receipts for everything that we filed. Now we wait on the interview at which I'm confident there will be a new grilling and new interrogation style interview at which we'll have to re-explain that he was in the military during a period of designated hostility, which is what allows him to skip the green card process and file for naturalization. He is not eligible for a green card through his wife because he participated in our democracy by voting. I mean, it, this is surreal. I mean, it, it, it truly is. And I, I'm not criticizing the Marine Corps, but I just, I'm astounded that there isn't a, a level of appeal in this process for some outside entity like the Marine Corps or like the Department of the Navy or the Department of Defense that will come in and help on this thing. I mean, can, can you bring other Marines back into this interview process that say this man really is a person of good character? Well, it's the character is one issue, but the second issue is the problem with uh, George H.W. Bush's executive order, which ended Persian Gulf on April 11th. So if you entered the military for whatever reason and were not a permanent resident, which happened a lot and unfortunately still happens, if you did not serve during a designated period of hostility and you voted, which most vets do, then they find themselves in the same position. And you know that there's over half a million foreign-born veterans alive today. So I suspect there are many thousands of people in Paul's exact situation. Well... I actually witnessed a citizenship ceremony while we were in Afghanistan with General Dunford, who was then a four-star general. He's now retired, having been chairman of the Joint Chiefs and the rest of it. But I would tell you that it strikes me, some reasonable person up the line somewhere in the Department of Immigration or whether the Pentagon, somebody, can the president waive the provisions that are creating this problem? Can that be done by the commander-in-chief? 
It's funny that you should ask that. We have been asking Senator Rubio's office for exactly that by way of a special bill. So if the senator stepped up and, and supported a special bill for Paul, or if that's like him, they could avoid this entire debacle and naturalize without first having been permanent residents. But we need to go back and figure out why was this happening? Why was the military even allowing people not eligible to serve in the military? Why were recruiters making promises of citizenship that they absolutely could not keep? And now why are these vets still in this position without a special bill or some blanket forgiveness so that they can finally fully participate in our democracy as citizens? And final question to both of you. What can we, the people, the first three words of that constitution that Paul and I and millions of others have taken, what can we, the people, do to be of help in this? I think the issue goes back to the recruiters and um, the fact that people are getting into the military who are not eligible to serve. Fast forward to now, how do we solve that? We solve that with a special bill for people like Paul, who believe the recruiters and are now stateless or at least subject to deportation. And my public service announcement that I always tell people is if you're a foreign born vet and you do not have proof of your citizenship by way of a US passport, by way of a certificate of citizenship or a certificate of naturalization, chances are you're not a citizen and you need help like the kind of help that Paul is receiving I would contact the American Legion. You can contact my office and we can explore whether you are a citizen or not. Because if you're not, voting and registering to vote could result in deportation. So, Paul, where would you want to be deported to? Not, not that you should be, but obviously if your citizenship as a New Zealander is no longer valid, where would you go? That I do not know, sir. I mean, it's, it's a question I can't answer because I love this country and that's why I proudly served and stood up and said I will defend you and to think of a different place I would be I can't imagine that appreciate both of you appreciate your service Paul as a United States Marine I meant what I said about the words Semper Fidelis and Elizabeth I truly admire you for taking this on and being pro bono it's undoubtedly taken hundreds of hours of your life at this point so thank you for doing so. Until next time, remember, Semper Fidelis is more than a slogan for U.S. Marines. Always faithful is a way of life.